tonight on Throwback Thursday as Tune FM celebrates 50 years. Very significant, this uh, goddamn New York Times expose of the most highly classified documents of the war. Oh, that. I see. That, that. I didn't read the story, but uh, you mean that, that was leaked out of the Pentagon? We're joined by Dr. Tim Batten and Dr. Aaron Eady to discuss the Pentagon Papers, one of the most significant scandals in American political history. No, whatever they may think of the policy, it is treasonable to take this stuff out and oh, it's it to serves the enemy. This is 50 Years of Tune FM, 1971. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, where we're talking about 1971, and we're going to be talking about the Pentagon Papers with Dr. Tim Batten and Dr. Aaron Eady. How's everyone doing? Very well, thanks, Jacob. Very good, thank you. All right, so the Pentagon Papers, uh, the lead-in to one of the most significant political scandals, probably the most significant political scandal of the last 50 years, um, what exactly were the Pentagon Papers about? Well, they were about the Vietnam War. Um, more specifically, uh, a lot about the Vietnam War that hadn't really been told to the public in as many words as were spelled out in the Pentagon Papers. Mm, yes, so there were some very... Um quite concerning implications. If we go into a little bit more detail about what was of particular concern that came out in the Pentagon Papers. Well, um, I suppose I should clarify what happened was that uh, the American Defense Secretary, Robert McNamara, in 1967 commissioned basically a history of the Vietnam War all the way back to post-World War II. And he left a team of some, I think it was 36 researchers or whatever, to get on with it and took no oversight or tried to interfere in any way. So what they came up with was pretty much the unvarnished truth. And it showed quite a few things that uh, had been, uh, where the public had been misled, basically, going all the way back to the Truman presidency and the successive presidents from them, how they really hadn't been uh, upfront with the, with the American people. Yeah, so some of those things that they were not upfront about um, included the purpose of the Vietnam War from the start, um, as well as US interference with Vietnamese affairs and um, some particularly covert operations where they shouldn't have been um, happening. <laughs> so, um, can we go into a bit of detail about um, what exactly some of those things that were done that shouldn't have been done and why they were so such serious implications? Well, if we start with Truman, I guess, um, what he did in the early 1950s was support the Viet Minh in their fight uh, against, or sorry, not support the Vietnamese, <laughs> um, he, he was helping the South Vietnamese against the North Vietnamese. Um, he, he just said they were sending people there as advisors uh, or just military experts, but in fact they were, they were actively helping um, in the, the fight against you know, what, what's known as the First Indochina War. Um, after that, um, when Eisenhower well, took over, 
before you go to that, Erin, could, could, yeah. I, could I offer this um, contribution that um, it, before Truman does that, he gave military aid to the French. And, yes, um, you're right. And, and that then compromised the US. Up until then, up until Truman does that, um, the, the, the US could claim with credibility that it was a neutral power in the region. But um, Truman undoes that um, quite badly by, by giving aid to the French, which mm. was the colonial power. And, of course, that is an important part of the context that, because as historians have, have said since the debacle of Vietnam, that um, it should always have been understood as a... The problem in Vietnam was a problem of colonialism coming to an end and the Vietnamese wanting self-determination um, and their yes. own independence. And yes, Truman's thanks. decision there to give money to the French um, um, distorts the, the, uh, the situation from that moment on. Yes, yes, you're quite right. The whole issue is tied up with... Um, decolonisation in Southeast Asia. Um, the French, of course, had been displaced during World War II um, and they were trying to get back in. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And so, yes, as Tim explained, it was the US trying to help the French. Uh, once Eisenhower uh, took power, replacing Truman, uh, one of the key things he did was um, the 1956 elections where he... Uh, said that he was, basically America wasn't going to play any role in them or, or support the, the help in those elections. Um, but instead, they, Eisenhower supported the South Vietnamese over the North Vietnamese. Um, so again, something that wasn't upfront with the American people. Um, if we move on to Kennedy, John F. Kennedy, uh, one of the great questions of the Vietnam War is what would have happened if Kennedy wasn't assassinated in 1963? Would he have pursued the same path that uh, we, we know happened? And there, there's sort of been a, a sense that Kennedy wasn't that keen on getting in, more involved in Vietnam. He'd started to, but things still hadn't escalated to a huge extent, but what the Pentagon Papers showed that um, he'd already decided to move from a policy of what was known as a limited gamble to a policy of broad commitment. So that um, was, was revealed, and, and so, again, you know, we can't say for sure, but it would seem that Kennedy was indeed ready to get more involved in Vietnam. And of course, Kennedy, after his assassination, he was replaced by his Vice President, Lyndon Johnson. Johnson was up for an election in 1964, and in the election campaign, uh, promised that he wouldn't be um, accelerating bombing, wouldn't be bombing North Vietnam. Well, the um, Pentagon Papers showed, well, yes, he was already committed to uh, bombing North Vietnam. And when they did bomb North Vietnam in 1965, um, this was 
promoted as something to deter the North Vietnamese, where in, in fact um, research and analysis had already shown that they knew that wasn't going to happen. It wasn't going to deter the North Vietnamese at all. Um, and so as, as things progressed, the papers show that it became less about America trying to stop communism in Vietnam and more about America trying to save face in Vietnam. Mm, which is concerning. It's not a, not, a, not a good policy to be in any conflict uh, on the basis of. You're listening to Throwback Thursday, 1971. Elsewhere in 1971, in April, the Soviet Union launched the first space station, Salyut 1, into low Earth orbit. The first crew would arrive on the space station in June. Unfortunately, their capsule depressurized after their achievement and all three crew members perished. The Salyut 1 space station would orbit for a total of 175 days before it was purposefully deorbited and disintegrated above the Pacific Ocean. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, and this is It's Too Late by Carol King.
can't stay together, don't you feel it too? Still, I'm glad for what we had and how I once loved you. But it's too late, baby, now it's too late. Though we really did try to make it. Something You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1971, The Pentagon Papers with Dr. Tim Batten and Dr. Erin Eady. But um, how did these papers come to light? It seems like it, it was something that was going on for such an extended period of time. Um, and then suddenly something happened that meant it became very public and played a big role in U.S. politics for a little while. Yeah, so the name we need to know here is Daniel Ellsberg. He was a military analyst. Um, he'd been uh, working for um, John McNaughton, who was an, uh, who worked for Robert, Robert McNamara. Um, and he'd been involved, his portfolio, um, Ellsberg's portfolio was Vietnam. So he was reading and reading and reading an awful lot about what was going on in Vietnam to the extent that he decided to go there and look for himself. So from 1965, he spent two years in Vietnam touring uh, extensively, uh, really putting his own life in danger and seeing really what was happening in Vietnam. He then came back and went to work for the RAND Corporation um, and actually contributed to the, uh, one part of the, the Pentagon Papers uh, which, which were, the official name was Report of the Office of the Secretary of Defence Vietnam Task Force. Um, uh, but um, Ellsberg had started off as a staunch anti-communist, pro-Vietnam War, pro-American uh, involvement. What he saw and what he read changed his mind. He realised what was really happening uh, and realised the quagmire that America was getting, himself, was getting itself into. And came to the realisation that this information needed to be made public. And so uh, that's what he did. Um, and how he did so is a whole story in itself. I mean, it's, it, was a, it was a movie very recently, wasn't it? Yes, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep, The Post, um, which is another part of how it all came out. There was also another one some years back uh, called The Most Dangerous Man in America. And there's been documentaries and, and what have you. But what, um, uh, what Ellsberg did was started photocopying the, the documents at night. Now, there was an awful lot of them. These 36 people had put together 3,000 pages of analysis and 4,000 pages of additional documents. There were 47 volumes. Now, obviously, he couldn't copy all that. But at night, he was in there photocopying. He even had his children in there helping him photocopy stuff. Um, and 
took it out. Now, his first plan was to give it to assorted American senators and hoped that they would distribute it. But um, none of them wanted to touch it with Marge Bolton, basically. One of them, uh, George McGovern, was uh, about to run for uh, president again, so he didn't want to be seen part of this and, and various others as well. One did end up reading some out in Congress, so that got it put into the record. But for the most part, nobody, uh, none of the senators wanted to have anything to do with it. So he decided to approach the New York Times. And uh, the reporter he went to is was someone called Neil Sheehan. And after a bit of toing and froing between those two, it was agreed that the New York, New York Times would start publishing excerpts from the Pentagon Papers. And so in 1971, as he said at the beginning, that's what started happening. And that's where the Nixon administration got themselves in a bit of trouble, wasn't it? <laughs> it certainly was. Um, and in the end, quite unnecessarily. Uh, at, at first, Nixon didn't really mind. He said, well, that, that's okay. It's, it's throwing dirt on Johnson and Kennedy, my Democratic predecessors. So I'm fine. I, I haven't done anything wrong. Um, but then Henry Kissinger, Secretary of State, said, well, yeah, but you know, this is exposing state um, affairs, you know, private, uh, secret military affairs, we probably shouldn't let this be happening. Um, and so Nixon said, oh, okay, um, yes, okay, let's do something about this, uh, which he did in probably the most ham-fisted way possible. <laughs> um, uh, well, what they, what they did firstly was got a court injunction to stop the New York Times publishing, uh, which was, was granted. Um, meantime, you mentioned the movie The Post, uh, which was about the Washington Post. The Washington Post was a bit um, teed off that they hadn't been granted access to these, so they got onto Daniel Ellsberg as well, got their own copy and started publishing as well. Ellsberg then started handing it out willy-nilly all, all sorts of newspapers. Um, the post, they tried to stop the Post publishing, but they couldn't get an injunction for that. But when uh, the New York Times appealed the injunction, so it very quickly escalated to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court in a 6-3 judgment found in favour of the New York Times. Uh, it was all tied up with the First Amendment, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, uh, saying that you couldn't do this, um, that you couldn't stop this being published. The Nixon government, the, the prosecution had gone for something that they called prior restraint, which meant stopping publication before it happens, before it's published, because the idea is that publication, publication of that information will be catastrophic for the government, for foreign policy, for whatever it might be. Um, but uh, the Supreme Court found that no, that, that you, they hadn't proved that that could, was likely to be the case. And so uh, publication recommenced. Um, and that was when Nixon decided, okay, we're going to uh, get this bloke. Um, and he formed a, a team of, well, sort of secret agents, if you like, that became known as the Plummets. And they set out to try and find some dirt on Earlsberg. And they did that by breaking into his psychiatrist's office um, and rifling through things. Now, this became public. Um, Ellsberg was charged with, um, I forget the exact 
charges, but basically, you know, distributing state secrets, espionage, whatever, whatever it was. But when this became public, that Nixon had uh, authorised this and these people had done illegal things to try and get dirt on him, the case was thrown out of court. So Ellsberg never uh, suffered any consequences. He could, in theory, have spent many years in jail as subsequent whistleblowers have uh, done as we've seen, people like uh, Chelsea Manning and others. Uh, um, but because Nixon took this ham-fisted approach, that didn't happen. Um, and those plumbers were the ones who then went on to do the break-ins involving Watergate, uh, which is where everything did fall apart for Nixon, of course. You've been listening to Throwback Thursday 1971. Elsewhere in 1971, Walt Disney World, the happiest place on earth, opens to the public. Walt Disney had been secretly purchasing large tracts of land in central Florida since 1965, and after four years of construction, the resort finally opened to the public. Today, it remains the largest theme park resort in the world. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM, and this is Imagine by John Lennon. Oh, mm-hmm.
You're listening to Throwback Thursday 1971, The Pentagon Papers with Dr. Tim Batten and Dr. Erin Eady. Yeah, exactly. Um, so why, what was the immediate response to these papers uh, coming out? Obviously, uh, big political implications for Nixon, but what did that mean in terms of um, America's foreign policy and, and, and all those sorts of things as well? Tim, do you want to have a <laughs> um, Well, I, th- I think the initial reaction was, as Erin as has just traced for us, the um, trying to prevent um, the papers ever, ever making their way out in full. So the New York Times was chosen by Ellsberg as, his, as uh, a preferred way of getting the papers out. The Nixon administration wanted to prevent any further publication of them. Um, so its reaction was, these are state secrets. These are, um, without saying so, these are embarrassing um, uh, details. And as Kissinger uh, made clear to Nixon, we can't allow this. So it was, it was a, a reaction of control. Um, um, and um, so that's what they were really, that was what was motivating the Nixon administration. Now, once Ellsberg quite um, cleverly worked out that he didn't have to rely just on the New York Times and that he, it was, it was um, both his judgment that he had to go more broadly and it was also uh, clever work by uh, Ben Bradley at the Washington Post to um, see whether he could eke out information by um, collaborative work um, between journalists, journalists at the Washington Post and Neil Sheehan, who was working at the um, New York Times, that um, through that kind of work, um, they were hoping then to uh, get the papers out um, so that uh, they could, the papers could see the light of day. So when the, when, when the controversy was at its height, in a legal sense, uh, one of the things going in the... Uh, in, in favour of the newspapers was that there was courage shown by other newspapers who also then um, revealed the state secrets. You know, the Boston Globe was another prominent newspaper, a very fine newspaper that um, that uh, pushed back against the uh, the government's um, attempts to stifle uh, the publication of the papers. And in the end, that became the main story because mm. uh, idea of the freedom of the press. Yeah. More so, in fact, than the actual contents of the Pentagon Papers themselves. Yeah. Because the most recent thing in them was three years old. So mm. it was going back to things that had already happened. The tide, by 1971, the tide of sentiment had well and truly turned against the Vietnam War anyway. Everybody yeah. had realised by this stage that things were going badly. Ellsberg was, in fact, disappointed with the public's reception to it because, in a way, they just said, well, yeah, and we know that. Um, So it was revealing history, and it was showing that um, successive presidents had been misleading the public, but by that stage, the public was also starting to realise that for themselves anyway. So the the key to the Pentagon Papers really became this, this idea of uh, the government not being able to suppress 
uh, freedom of speech and freedom of publication. That, that became the main story rather than uh, what the government had actually been doing uh, regarding Vietnam itself. And of course, to sum up the saga, now this didn't happen in 1971, it happened in 1972, but um, it did result in the end of the Nixon administration uh, indirectly as well, didn't it? It certainly did, as I mentioned before. Uh, once he got the taste of getting these plumbers, as they were called, uh, to break in to try and fix things, he got them to break into the infamous hotel and um, try to cover things up with that. And of course, once all that came out, uh, Nixon's presidency just fell apart, it seemed, and he was forced to resign. Um, it, it's interesting, even though all this had come out in 1971, the 72 election, uh, when he ran against George, or George McGovern, the Democrat, ran against him. Nixon was actually re-elected in a landslide. It was one of the biggest um, uh, presidential wins in, in their history. And so he went from that position of strength uh, to everything completely unravelling for him over the next couple of years. Mm. Well... Very uh, significant time in history, 49 years ago uh, at this stage. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have both of you to kind of shed some light on a very significant time in political history. It certainly was. It's a pleasure, Jacob. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're listening to 106.9 Tune FM. Let's go back to the music. And uh, don't forget to join us next week for a significant event from 1972. Thank you for listening to Throwback Thursday 1971, helping Tune FM celebrate 50 years. Join us next week as we discuss the opening of the Aboriginal Tent Embassy on the 26th of January 1972.